Uh, I saw something a few months back uh, that I uh, was surprised by, uh, kept me awake a lot at night. It was this uh, picture. Now, it's a little difficult to see, but somebody uh, tweeted this uh, and um, put this out on the internet. And in case you can't tell, it's circled there. But what that is in a tree is an alligator. And people said, wait, 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 time out. Alligators can climb trees? Uh, It's supposed to be, uh, you know, safe from alligators, I think, when you climb a tree. And the guy who posted this said, I thought at first maybe that was a big iguana or something, but I got closer. No, that's an alligator. Climbed up a tree. And then I saw this. We, we don't have the audio there, but it was a local news report from Florida, uh, and video footage was shown of this, and they were joking about the fact, you think you're okay from alligators if you have a fence around your house? Not so, because as it turns out, alligators can also climb fences. Is this not a terrifying thought? <laughs> this was something I don't think I wanted to know. Uh, and I've, I've told uh, people before, I guess I'm grateful to live in a, a place where we don't have things like fence and tree climbing alligators. The reality is I've got little to no reason to have any real concern about this, right? Is that fair to say? Do you know how far we are from Florida? I looked it up. And if you looked in your bulletin this morning, you know the answer is right there. From uh, state center to state center, 2,980 miles. I really don't need to worry about the fact that alligators can climb trees and or fences. And yet still, I saw this and I thought, what in the world? That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? It's interesting, though. We worry about all sorts of things, don't we? We just talked about this morning. It's so interesting uh, that uh, some of our women are going to be gathering to do a Bible study on this very fact. Uh, We've talked about it a lot in many of our gatherings. The fact is, we often have a lot of worry, a lot of concern in our world. Uh, Just this week, uh, we've all watched with some consternation this uh, war in Eastern Europe. Uh, And we've been watching the situation for months, for the weeks before. There was a lot of indications that something was going to happen. And then still, when it did we thought, well, well, this is really going to happen. This thing's going on. And we've got people who are unafraid to threaten even nuclear war as this gets carried out. And I was uh, watching the news kind of glued to uh, you know, a news channel and just watching this. And Deborah came home and she said, why are, you, why are you worried about this? And I said, well, I'm not worried. You know, I'm just interested. And then I thought about it and I thought, well, maybe I am a little worried. Maybe I am a little concerned. It's happening a long ways away. And yet, we've got this worry about what's happening in our world. We've had so many things over the past couple of years. And as we move away, we just finished our, our uh, study, our sermon series in James. Uh, but before we start our next uh, sermon series, I just wanted to take a, a couple of weeks uh, to uh, talk with you about a couple of things the Lord has laid on my heart, take a little bit of a break from a series And the thing I wanted to get to today was this issue of worry, but more importantly, this issue of what we do with it. And if you're not uh, still there, I want to ask you to turn back to Psalm 46. This passage titled uh, in my Bible, God is our fortress. Uh, 
Now, I wanted to give you a little bit of background on that passage. You know, so many of these uh, psalms, and, and the psalms in our Bible are sort of a, 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 the best model we have for what prayer and what worship and praise look like. But they so often have these backgrounds, you know. And we don't know for certain, many of the psalms, you know, as you read through them, they have a very clear introduction that says, David wrote this when, you know, such and such was happening. We don't get that here. But we can get sort of a sense, and many, if not most, scholars have sort of landed in the same place, that the occasion of the writing of this psalm was very likely when Jerusalem turned away uh, the the army of the Assyrians. Now, just just to give you kind of a brief review, again, uh, after uh, some time of being a unified nation, the nation of Israel had a civil war, they split. So there was a northern kingdom of Israel... It's confusing, but now they were called Israel, and then a southern kingdom of Judah. And the Assyrian Empire came in with their armies, and they conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And they took them away. They wiped them out. They were done. And you know who's next? The southern kingdom of Judah. So the southern kingdom of Judah, in which Jerusalem is, was worried. They were concerned. Their king was concerned. The king uh, at this time was Hezekiah, and he was worried about it. And Isaiah goes to Hezekiah, and part of what he tells him is, don't worry, those armies are not going to defeat Jerusalem. Now, this is surprising news because, frankly, the armies of the Assyrian Empire were like a a steamroller. They'd, They'd seen virtually no resistance to their advances. They just wiped out anybody that they came in contact with. And it is said that they had 180 to 185,000 troops encircling Jerusalem. And King Sennacherib of the Assyrians was real arrogant. And he said, you've got no hope. You've got no hope. You might as well just roll over. You know, They were worried. They were concerned. And in uh, uh, the book of the Kings, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, we're told that a destroying angel, is how it's described, came in the middle of the night and just sort of wiped that army out. <laughs> and Sennacherib went home. And it's possible that this is the occasion for the writing of this prayer. You get a sense of that? Do you get a sense of how dire of how bleak things looked and now they're left in this situation where all they can do is say god is our refuge and our strength See, it was an amazing reminder for the people of judah for the people who resided in jerusalem its capital that god is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble therefore we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. I spent some time recently at the ocean. Just standing at the ocean, you get such a sense of the power there as this surf comes in. 
It's incredible. And at the same time, it's very humbling. That power, the roar, the noise, the, the motion, the force that's involved there. If you have occasion to go out into the ocean, you know it takes a surprisingly what, what seems like very small wave to knock you right off your feet and make you look real silly, you know. But next to God, it's nothing. It's nothing. And then in the final section of this passage, verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then this, this to me is this central thought, a verse that we, I think, know well. Sometimes we forget its immediate context. I don't want to, of course, pull it away from its context. But this is really the crux of the matter right here. This voice of God saying, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That idea, that concept, the biblical word here of being still, I think you probably understand, is more than just not moving, you know. It's, it's more than, than just... Uh, being in a place. It's a bit more than that. We have two dogs. I think I've told you that before. We are not very uh, good at training them. <laughs> I was going to say they're not well trained, but that makes it sound like it's their fault. It's our fault. You know, <laughs> We're not good at training them. But our bigger one, especially her name is Cleo, you know, and she knows a thing or two. But Cleo's a riot. You know, I'll tell her to sit sometimes. Cleo, just sit. Be calm. And she will. She'll sit very obediently. But while she sits, she's just quivering. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like she's about to explode. It's about like she's about to just come out of her skin. You know, she's just like, <laughs> you know. I mean, you might say she's still, but she's really not still. That is not the stillness that this passage is talking about. It's a stillness of heart and mind. It's not just standing saying, okay, fine, I'll be still, but quivering and saying, you know, like I'm about to burst. It's a stillness of heart, a stillness of mind, and a stillness of soul. And that only comes from one place, from knowing who God is. And I think especially when you, when you recall the way Hebrew poetry works, this is not a, a, a bulleted point of instructions where first be still and then point two or step two, know that I am God. I think, frankly, that they go hand in hand, they go together. And if anything, the stillness flows out of knowing who God is. And this is what this prayer, what this psalm is all about, is knowing who God is. And they very likely have just been reminded very graphically who God is, his power, his deliverance, his rescue, and, and now it's fresh in their minds. But this command, even, from God himself, you notice there, there are quotation marks around that, that little statement there. As this is God's voice saying, be still. Just be still. And know that I 
am God. We have a hard time doing this, I think. We have a hard time with stillness, with quiet, with silence. I asked you a little while ago at the conclusion of our communion time to just have some silence with me. And how many of you did that, for, for whom did that feel like just an eternity? Right? Yeah, a couple of you, yeah. I mean, we don't do a lot of that. But the reality is the Bible says that you and I ought to be a people who can be still because of who God is. Be still and know that I am God. There's a passage in uh, Romans chapter 12. Again, I know many of you are so very familiar with this. Romans 12, and, and you can make a, a fair argument as to the construction and outline of this letter to the Romans. The Apostle Paul spends the first 11 chapters doing a bit more doctrine, you know. And then in verse 12, he shifts pretty dramatically and clearly to very application-oriented stuff. Not that there was no application in the first 11 chapters, nor does it mean that there's no application in the final chapters, but, but there is this shift, you know. In chapter 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, and I've suggested before, that therefore, you might say, you know, in light of the, the prior 11 chapters, even though the Apostle Paul didn't write his letter with chapter numbers, you understand that, but in light of everything I've already written, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That renewing or renewal of our minds, I think part of what we're aiming for is a stillness. A state whereby we clearly understand who God is, what His nature is, and therefore, we can just be still. We need this today, don't we? We need this this week. We need this right now. But you know, even when times seemingly get better, we need this. Because there are all sorts of things that worry you, aren't there? whether you consider yourself a worrier or not. We've just got these things that worry us, that concern us, that our, our mind is on. And the Bible tells us that by the renewing of our minds, we're supposed to be transformed. And I want to encourage you this morning. We're a little bit briefer this morning just because we've had a, a, a longer service ahead. So you're welcome. If you can't stand the sermon part, this is your Sunday. <laughs> But, you know, what do we do with this? I mean, how do we use this? And I want to suggest to you that, that a really key element of this is what is often a lost art for us of meditation. Christian meditation. And I, I think that can be the problem. We sometimes get a little spooked out by that word. You know, we have sort of a, a connotation sometimes of meditation being something that belongs with Eastern religions. 
you know. But the reality is the Bible tells us repeatedly to meditate, to meditate on His Word, to meditate on Him. We are called to meditate. And there are a couple real key differences with the flavor of meditation as we see it in a, a, a biblical Christian framework versus maybe an Eastern religion framework. For one, uh, so often the idea of meditation seems to be to just empty your mind, yourself of everything, you know, to just kind of go zone out. That is not what the Bible calls us to do. The Bible calls us perhaps to empty our mind of these worries, these concerns, but in fact to fill our mind with Him. Yeah? And secondly, Rather than the focus of meditation, you know, so often if you do, you know, meditation class at the gym or, or online, you know, oftentimes it's just sort of about focusing on myself, focusing inwardly and really being aware of me. Again, the idea of biblical meditation is not that, it's being aware of Him. Yeah. And I think we need to bring that back. I think we need to bring back this practice of, and make no mistake, it takes practice it is a practice we're not good at it i'm not good at it i feel like i have some form of media on almost all the time even if it's just sort of in the background you know that makes it really hard to meditate and i want to call on you to restore to your spiritual life or maybe to put into your spiritual disciplines for the very first time, this act of biblical meditation, of meditating on God, meditating on His Word. And I don't know what that looks like from you. You know, so often we try to go from zero to a hundred, and then when we fail, we get really discouraged and we just give up. Just try going from zero to one, you know. I mean, maybe for you this looks like starting with, with a daily period of time of maybe just five minutes where you turn everything off, where you even separate yourself and just practice quietness, where you read, maybe you read Psalm 46 over and over and over. Every day you read through Psalm 46 and then you close it up and you just quietly Meditate on that, on what you just read. Just let it soak in. And practice the art of being still and knowing that He is God. It might be five minutes. Maybe that's too, maybe you'll be like Cleo, just about to burst out of you. Okay, try one minute. But this week, I want to ask you, to practice, in reality, being still and knowing that He is God. Meditating on Him, on His greatness, on His power, on His majesty, on His love for you, on His repeated rescue of humanity out of His grace, on His salvation that he has given to you and I freely in Jesus Christ. On the promises that we have in his word. Can you and I do that? 
and get back to. Now, some of you I know are good at it. Some of you are good at it. Some of you are better than others. It's okay. It's not, it's not a contest. But can we get better at not just reading this, be still and know that I am God, but at actually being still and knowing that He is God. This word still is used elsewhere. Another one of the things I thought about as I studied was Jesus. After a long day of interacting with people, tired, saying, I need to get away, you know, let's go, let's get in a boat, let's sail to the other side of the lake. And he conked out and went to sleep in the back of the boat. You remember this story? This fierce storm kicked up. And here's Jesus sitting in the back of the boat. And finally, his disciples shook him awake and said, what? why aren't you worried about this? Remember what Jesus said to the storm, to the lake, the wind, the waves? Be still. <laughs> you know what that more accurately, not, not more accurately, but in our vernacular today, you know what's a pretty good translation of that? Shut up. <laughs> and I call on you this week to shut up. <laughs> I call on us to take our worries, our fears, our concerns, and tell them, stop, shut up. I'm just going to be still. You know why? Because God is God. Hallelujah. Because God is God. If you don't know him well enough, get to know him better. If I say God is God and you're like, yeah, okay, so what? You don't know him well enough. Again, start meditating on this. Start getting to know him better so that you can really have this stillness that only comes from recognizing our God in his fullness and in his greatness. Hallelujah. This week, be still. Start this practice. I'm serious. Spend a few minutes just being still. Do it every day. Reflect on, meditate on, contemplate your God, His goodness, His word, His message to you. And let that just make you still. We have a stormy world, but God remains God. Though mountains themselves get pushed into the sea, we do not need to worry and to wring our hands and to fret. We can take those fears and tell them to shut up and just be still because God is God. Our Father God in heaven, we praise you for your power. And Father, we confess there are times in our own lives when we maybe sort of abstract that power a bit. We remember it as something that did happen in the past or remember it as something that happens to other people or remember it purely as a spiritual thing that doesn't really have any bearing on our actual lives and our world. And God, none of that is true. It is all a lie told us by the enemy. You are still this same God in whom we can simply be still. God, help us to do that. Help us this week to just spend time daily 
being quiet, being still, filling ourselves with nothing but you, refocusing our thoughts, renewing our minds, and thereby being transformed by it. God, as we often do, we pray this morning for anyone that's joined us today, whether they're here with us in person, physically, whether they're here with us online, watching from home or someplace else, that might not know you personally as their personal God, as their heavenly Father. And they don't experience this stillness, this calm, this peace that you give to your children. That God, today would be the day that they would understand clearly as we celebrated before, Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and risen again. Your word says that we need nothing but faith in Jesus, in his completed work. He already did it for us. And to make him our master, our Lord, our Savior, and thereby be saved. Seems too good to be true, God, but that's who you are. And so we pray that this would be the day of salvation for anyone with us who hasn't yet received your beautiful gift. For the rest of us, guide and direct us, have your hand on us, and help us to experience, to truly experience, and not just know it intellectually, but to experience stillness in you. Praise your name, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.